0: Have you notified Lord Helmet? Yes, sir. I took the liberty. He's on his way. Make way for Dark Helmet. All rise in the presence of Dark Helmet. Hi
1: there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am Paul Caputo, SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Normally on this podcast, we, we like to deal with one minor league baseball at a time. We talk about the logo, the nickname, what it means to the community. But when you have the opportunity to speak to a preeminent journalist in the field of sports branding, you take that opportunity. And I'm super happy right now to be joined by Paul Lucas, who is the founder of UniWatch since 1999. I can't believe that UniWatch has been around since 1999. Paul Lucas, thank you so much for joining me. Uh,
0: my pleasure, Paul. And
1: believe me, that makes two of us who can't believe Uniwatch has been around that long. Well,, I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast is very likely to be familiar with your work already because, you know, I talk about logos and nicknames and and what they mean to to communities. You cover very thoroughly, the area of, of uniforms in particular. And I, so I write for sportslogos.net and I know that you and Chris have a good professional relationship. Chris Creamer from sportslogos.net. You guys, you collaborated on a podcast called Unified, which was was fun to listen to uh, when that was around. And I know I've seen pictures on Facebook that you guys have met in person a couple of times. So yeah, between-
0: I would say Chris and I, we have more than a good professional relationship.
1: Uh, I, I consider Chris a good friend and
0: I I think and hope he would say the same.
1: Well, yeah. I can tell you that he does actually, because I obviously <laughs> I got to work with with Chris. So, you know, I, if if this is a fair assessment, I would say you approach this very much from the uniform side of things, while Chris focuses more specifically on on logos. But there's obviously a lot of overlap there, for sure. So, uh, the the question that I have for you is, you know, both of you have been doing this since you know the the 90s. Are you surprised? And you just said that makes two of us that you you can't believe that you, your site's been around since 1999. Are you surprised after founding UniWatch so long ago, more than almost a quarter century ago, that that interest exists in sports branding at the, the level of detail that, that you get into it at? Uh,
0: a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that UniWatch has proven to be such a durable project. I tend to think uh, as a, a creative professional and as a, as a media professional, I tend to think in terms of projects. Uh, before I did UniWatch, I had a sort of consumer culture writing project where I wrote Mm -hmm. about the details of product design and how we interacted with consumer products. It was very much like UniWatch for the consumer realm, actually, in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. It it was sort of through the same filter. Uh, And that ran like five, six years. And I had a travel writing project for a magazine, and that ran six years. And I, I tend to think in terms of projects that sort of run their course Uh, And then you move on to the next thing. And I thought that's what UniWatch would be. Like Mm -hmm. I I believed in it. I thought it it had, you know, uh, it was fertile ground to sort of explore. I thought I had some things to say. I thought there would be a niche audience for it. And I thought it would run its course in five or six years. And here we are uh, like 23 years later and UniWatch is still going strong. And part of that certainly is that the internet and social media are, are really good conduits for something like UniWatch, where mm-hmm. the more information I put out there, the more I get back. Uh, and so while I while I'm sitting here talking to you, um, there are, you know, thousands of UniWatch readers who are emailing things to me, mm-hmm. tweeting things at me, and it's all, you know, I was watching a game and I noticed this, or I right. was digging through my old belongings at my parents' house and I found this, uh, you know, an old photo or a baseball card or whatever it might be. And so it has become, and I I didn't conceive of it this way, but it has Mm -hmm. become a very crowdsourced project. And I have, I'm very fortunate to have become sort of the hub or one of the hubs, I Mm -hmm. I think Chris could probably say the same thing, um, that I've become a hub for a lot of people's interests in this. And so the more I put out there, it turns out, the more I get back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And all through the history of UniWatch, they were especially in the earlier years, um, I would be pitching it to an editor, uh, you know, like my first editor at the Village Voice, which is an alt-weekly paper here in New York where UniWatch first ran. And I pitched the idea and he said, Well, we can do that maybe once every four weeks. Are you sure there's actually enough to write about <laughs> every four weeks? And I said, I think so. Yeah. But I wasn't sure because it had never been done before. Sure. And then I did it to Slate.com and they said, Well, we want to do it every two weeks. Is there enough to write about? Uh-huh, <laughs> okay. uh-huh think so I, I guess and 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 on and on and that that cycle sort of repeated itself I moved uniwatch over to espn.com mm-hmm. they wanted it every week mm-hmm. then I asked them could I do a daily blog and they said well we don't want it we we don't want it every day but if you want to do a, a side project as a blog you know independent of us as long as you give us the big stories you can do little stories on the blog uh you can do it every day knock yourself mm-hmm. out and I mm-hmm. asked myself can I do this every day I think so. And uh yeah, it turns out that uh people's interest and my own interest in uniforms is is almost inexhaustible. And I'm happy to say that um, you know, more than two dozen years later, or almost two dozen years later, I still learn things. Yeah. Um at the pace of it, you know, the, the moments of revelation and discovery aren't as fast uh and you know, they don't come as frequently as they once did just because I've I have a greater knowledge base now sure. I've learned many things but there are still things I learn, and it's yeah. a it's a which is a great reminder and reality check that even though we think we know the history of a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. a lot of that history has not yet been documented is still yeah. waiting to be documented um and the last word is not always you know what we think it is and that there's still you know gaps to be filled in in the historical timeline
1: sure sure well so you've talked a lot about how we consume logo news and sports branding news has changed, you know, obviously from a, a monthly column in the village voice to a daily blog and, you know, thousands of, of Twitterers, you know, finding information and sending it your way. But how has the, as you've been covering it for almost a quarter century, how has the industry itself changed? Has it, it is it more involved? Is it more detailed? Is there more attention paid to it? inside the industry, or is it just a function of, there's more attention paid to it because there's more avenues for exploring it?
0: I think it's both of those things. And the the biggest change, obviously, is that um, when I started writing UniWatch in 1999, uh, jersey and cap merchandising and retailing were really just getting started Mm -hmm. as mass operations. Um, I'm 58 years old, which means I grew up in the 70s, um, and I graduated high school in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was growing up and I was already a uniform geek as a huh. kid, like yeah. I, I, I was very into my first little league uniform and <laughs> I was noticing, you know, little things about like, why is this guy's sleeve longer than that guy's sleeve when I yeah. was watching, you know, baseball on the game of the week or the world right. series, or whatever. Uh, but I couldn't have bought a Mets Jersey cause I grew up in, on Long Island and I'm a Mets fan. I couldn't have bought a Mets Jersey as a kid. If I'd wanted to, it would never have occurred to me mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that market did not yet exist. Yeah. Uh, there were there wasn't the the mass merchandising of jerseys and also caps uh the way there is now. And, and what I really remember in terms of kids wearing caps uh growing up was uh if you were in little league, you would often I would wear mm-hmm. my little league cap mm-hmm. uh to school. And if I went to a ball game, I'd wear my Little League cap. Sometimes you'd see kids wear their full Little League uniforms to the ball game, like (laughs) like a Mets game or a Yankees game, (laughs) uh, which seems like really dorky now. But that was the way to sort of express your uniform, you know, passion or it just wasn't any other way to do it back then, which seems weird now. You know, you go to a game and everyone's wearing a a jersey or at least a T-shirt or a shirt. But that didn't exist then. And that is certainly the biggest change in mm-hmm, the industry. Mm-hmm. And with which, you know, I don't actually cover that much. I don't cover what what's for sale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I cover what the players wear. Yeah. But what's for sale drives what the players wear. Right. There's, you know, we would not have as many alternate uniforms and alternate caps um, or trends like everyone having a black alternate jersey or right. whatever it might be right. if not for merchandising teams don't just happen to trot these out because they think it looks interesting or or they want to change things up they they bring them out because they can sell them at retail and so i mean personally i i feel like a team's retail program should be driven by its on-field program <laughs> uh but it's really the other way around okay. well and you're a purist I, again, Person well, um I don't like that term. Um okay. I I I I just think I'm I am more interested in what the players wear than sure. than what's for sale. Sure. And I think you know what I think what you wear on the field is like the primary consideration should be does it look good on the field? Right. Rather than does an 18 to 32 year old want to buy it.
1: Right. Um, right.
0: And so I, I think you can call that purist if you want. To me, it's just like <laughs> reflects my priorities uh, sure as who cares about sports aesthetics more than about consumer retail concerns sure so that i would say is the biggest change in the industry and but you know you cover minor league ball where all of these things are scrambled a little bit and <laughs> like the i feel like you know minor league teams can change their identities they they don't necessarily have the same team name for mm-hmm. years and years they mm-hmm. certainly don't have the same kind of roster stability oh, um, for sure. And and the dynamics of of sort of smaller town branding and what a a, a team means in a smaller town um, versus what it means in a, a major metropolitan market, I think, are different. And all all of these things, I think, um, sort of resonate differently on the minor league level.
1: Yeah. Well, OK, so you've segued into two different questions I have, and I have to decide which one I want to ask now. You touched on the trends in the major professional sports with the, the alternate jerseys, the, you know, the, the, you know, every team having a black alternate, the risk in my mind in that comes from brand confusion, right? Like when I see the Red Sox trot out in city connect uniforms that I like very much, I like their Boston marathon themed city connect, you know, the yellow and blue jerseys that they have just on their on their face I like those uniforms but the brand it's, confusion, a, it's, a, it's
0: a nice uniform but it's not a very good Red Sox uniform.
1: it's not a good Red Sox uniform so I worry about you know about that with the trends now but I wonder so this is what I wonder and so you brought up minor league baseball and I, I was I was narrowing my focus to that and so let's let's just jump right to that in minor league baseball obviously as you know and as listeners of this podcast know already Teams are very likely to have three, four, five brands. You walk into a team store and I'm wearing the Wichita wind surge right now. <laughs> uh, you know they, they've got their their Copa de la Diversion brand. They've got the turbo tubs. I mean, they've got three very different brands right off the top of my head that I can think of there, and I know that they have others. So all of these teams have multiple brands. they're not they're not really that concerned about the you know a consistent brand necessarily i think a lot of that is driven by by revenue i mean i think that you know merchandise sales are a big deal especially in the minors do you think because i think that trend existed in the minors long before it existed in the major professional sports do you think that the major professional sports took note of what the minor leagues were doing and learned from that
0: no i think it's a different dynamic Uh,
1: i think in the minors um like you
0: talked about Brand consistency and 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 turning on the game and thinking who is this team? Is this the Red Sox? Right. Um, we see this even more in in the NBA where they yeah. have so much churn and turnover in their uniforms. You know they have a new city edition every year. Yeah. They have a new statement edition every two years. And I hear it all the time from fans. I turn on the game and I don't know I don't know who's playing. In right. minor league baseball, you don't turn on the game most of, most of the time. The game is not televised, so yeah. uh, that kind of visual consistency isn't that important. Um, And as I mentioned, there isn't really a lot of long term consistency in terms of even the team name, Mm -hmm. uh, which can shift from something local to the name of the parent club, you know, or and then if the team changes parent club affiliations, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. your team can go from the Syracuse Mets to the Syracuse or I'm just making that up so you know, (laughs) Um, and so there isn't a lot of consistency to begin with, right? And my my impression is always that uh, people go to the minor league ballpark with a few exceptions, like real diehards who follow the roster and all that. Sure, but they go to a minor league game just to have a nice night out. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know most of the players. They don't get attached to most of the players, uh, which is they don't have time to because the players come and go constantly, right? right. Like they get promoted to a higher level. They get um, you know called up to you know, fill in for someone on the parent club who's injured, and then they get sent back. And there's just so much roster churn. So there there, you don't have the the luxury of feeling as close a connection to any of the players, or really to the team brand in my Mm -hmm. in my experience, what you do have is that this ballpark, this place, this physical location is a place you go with your family, uh, and your friends to have a good time. Yeah. and we've seen the sort of wackiness of minor league promotions um and it's often it's less about the ball game than about just an entertainment uh, yeah. spectacle and it, there's a famous quote i'm sure you're familiar probably more familiar with it than i am about the specifics but i know that there was some convention of like minor league gms or or you know executives or something like that and at some point somebody was was saying with all the wacky promotions going on and said, look, are we in the baseball business or the carnival business here? And somebody said, let's
1: get this straight. We're in the carnival business. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) absolutely true. Right. And, and, you know, no one's night has ever been ruined by a minor league baseball game ending on an error and their team losing. Right. Like, you know, right. I mean, that's a downer or a
0: bummer. (laughs) it's it's just not the same thing. Yeah. And I think that gives minor league teams the freedom and the flexibility to experiment with things you know like uh, everything that that has descended from the fresno tacos right like all the food-based stuff that started right the fresno tacos which is so much fun and and you know and in an increasingly homogenized and sort of walmartized world you know regional foodways and and foods that are you know point of pride to a local Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. are something that you that people can really claim as their own that belongs to them and doesn't belong to anybody else and so why not change the team name to that you know for a day or three days out of the season or every friday or whatever it might be and you're not messing with something as sacrosanct and that has as as much of an emotional connection in people's minds as a major league team you know like if the mets were to do something like that like i'm trying to think of what the New York equivalent would be like you know a, the Pizza were, Rats. Pizza, yeah, Pizza Rats. Yeah, <laughs> which in fact the the Brooklyn Cyclones have already done, um, or was it the Staten Island? Like it a minor league Staten Island. Year yeah. Year. yeah, it so was the Staten, Staten Island Yankees. It. Yeah. Um, you know, but if the Mets started getting wacky like yeah. that, yeah. as a Mets fan personally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would try to have a sense of humor about it. I guess if it were well executed, it could work. Yeah. But if it just felt like a stupid gimmick to sell yeah. hats or something. Yeah. Like, that would really bug me. Like, I'm a Mets yes. fan. I right. care deeply about the history. Like, yeah. I had, like, it doesn't, I've written about this so many times, it doesn't make sense. It's not particularly rational, but <laughs> I feel a deep emotional bond with that yeah. team. Yeah. And, you know, and I have for most of my life. And, I don't want them messing with that too yeah. much. Like, yeah. don't tinker with this thing I care about. Right. Deeply. But right. I think on the minor league level, there isn't that same kind of connection. Not because people don't care, but mm-hmm. they care in a different sort of way. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, nobody's night was ruined by an error. Uh, <laughs> they're, and, and they're not like, watching at home every night when they're
1: not going to the ballpark
0: they're right. not watching every game on tv and, and right. learning every player's name and all of this because there, there isn't that level of media exposure yeah
1: i think there are there are just i think you're right 99.9 percent with minor league baseball i think there are a couple of teams whose brands have the emotional equity that would cause a, a real live uproar if they tried to change it the the Doran Bulls, the Buffalo Bisons, the Toledo Mud hens, right? Like I think, yeah, are... those
0: are. You know, I was thinking of the Mud Hens as well as I said yeah. that, and that's that's a team name that goes way way back, and yeah, you know, in part because of its sort of novelty appeal, right, I, right, I, right. I, People outside of Toledo know about the Toledo yeah. Mudhens and it was like came up on
1: MASH, right? It was like, Max Klinger's uh, team. I had Max Jamie Clinger. Farr on this podcast to talk about the about the Mud Hens. Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, episode four. But,
0: but in general, in yeah. general. And those yeah. are all also triple A teams, so the mm-hmm. highest mm-hmm. level of the miners. Yep. Um, and you know, which obviously they, that counts. It's still minor it league, but yeah. most of the minors are not at that, you know, not yeah. that high. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'll take 99.9%. <laughs> yes, so there, are, there are a few outliers, I would agree.
1: This is a conversation I've had with Dan Simon, uh, who created the logo for this podcast, by the way, who does amazing work in the realm of, of minor league baseball and, and other areas, but largely in minor league baseball. And, and he has talked about how when he's creating a brand for a AAA team, It's a different approach than a single A team, you know, that there's a, there's a a seriousness about designing for AAA as compared to, you know, an independent team or maybe high A or, or single A. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have noticed writing for sportslogos.net is when I put an article out about, you know, some team has adopted, you know, the Fort Myers mighty muscles, right? Like some like, you know, ridiculous Brandios brand. I love the work Brandios does. I think they've done great things for minor league baseball but you use the word wacky, right? Like there's a wackiness and it's getting more and more wacky as teams are sort of fighting to stay relevant in this increasingly diverse minor league baseball logo landscape.
0: Yeah. It sort of becomes like a wackiness arms race.
1: (laughs) It's exactly very well said. Exactly. But one of the things that, that I've noticed is, you know, readers of a site like yours or a site like sportslogos.net are going to hold if they're if they don't follow minor league baseball, if they don't sort of buy into that notion of it's family entertainment, we're being wacky because being wacky is fun, and we're trying to find some hyper-local connection. The Fort Wayne tin caps, right? Like and and having a logo based on Johnny Appleseed because he's buried there. Ostensibly, I know there's that some some places <laughs> dispute that. You know, having these brands that are hyper-local and increasingly wacky, they often receive a negative reaction from from readers of sites like yours and chris's you know who are holding them to the standard of a, of a major league team right and uh you know the the mets fan who doesn't want to see the mets become the pizza rats but very happy to see the staten island yankees become the pizza rats
0: uh I, i'm not sure i've actually observed that that my readers or followers are more disdainful of that on the minor league level i'm I'm not saying you're wrong i just Uh i haven't uh really noticed that i I know personally i i'm all for it uh for minor league teams to be wacky up to a point Um, right um but i would also say on some level who cares like who cares what somebody in denver thinks about the fort wayne tin caps (laughs) i mean it's meant as a hyper local thing it's it's for the local community yeah, and if people outside that community don't get it like honestly like yeah. does that matter i'm not sure it even matters like yeah. i i can have an opinion on stuff like that because it's part of my job sure uh, and i like if i have an opinion about what the arizona diamondbacks do mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that sort of plays into the larger story of of sports design at a given moment you know yeah. but, um, but My opinion about the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, um, like if the I would say if the local people like it, good for them, you know. Right, that that works for me. Um, And I, I, this, it's just a lower stakes thing, Mm -hmm. and what other people think, I'm
1: not sure matters as much. Honestly, do you see this trend of increasing wackiness in minor league baseball? continuing do you think that we're just in the middle of something that's going to keep going and going and going or do you think there will be a uh, a reaction against it and we'll see more conservative brands down the line
0: one thing we've seen is that the pendulum does tend to swing at least on the major league level you know mm-hmm. like you look at like certain wacky periods or what you know outlandish whatever you want to call them like mid 90s and the nba yeah. with all the sublimated designs and then right. the absolutely swung back toward more traditional designs uh major league baseball in the 70s right like all the powder blue and pullover mm-hmm. jerseys and technicolor and r- rainbow Astros, like all that and by the early 90s everyone was back to button front jerseys and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. belted pants and um, so the pendulum does tend to swing i i think again these dynamics are a little different on the minor league level um, and I would say that probably, like, even more so at the minor league level, these things mm-hmm. are driven by merchandising concerns, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of it will have to do with how many wacky caps is someone yeah. willing to buy. Yeah. I, I look I look behind you, Paul, and I see a lot of caps <laughs> <played> behind, <laughs> behind <laughs> you. We're, we're, on, we're on Zoom here, not just on a phone call. And I can, yeah. I can see you have a lot of caps. So I'm not a cap collector or yeah. a, a merchandise guy in general. So I am maybe less well-equipped to, to answer that question. Um, but I, I do think it, it's going to be driven more by merchandising concerns than by aesthetic or Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. branding concerns per se. I think it's going to be like, what can the market bear in terms of people plunking down 25 bucks for a cap or something?
1: Sure, sure. I will tell you, by the way, I didn't intend to become a hat collector. It just sort of happened as I got to more and more ballparks and loved the logos and kept buying them. But the thing that I do collect intentionally and you can't see it, but out in the basement behind me, I've got 407 unique, ice cream helmets uh, with <laughs> major league and minor league logos on them. So I've got them all on a shelf. So And ha- have you eaten ice cream out of every one of them? No, many of them are, they come, many of them I have, but many of them come from just people who are very kind, who know that I collect them and send them to me. They'll just show up in the mail for people I've never met. And, you know, people I've met a very, a lot of very kind people out there who like to send me things like that. And, and then, and then of course, you know, you trade as well. And so there's other collectors right, out right. there. So, uh, That's but great. I, I like to quote John Hodgman, who uh, was was talking about the helmet, my helmet Sunday collection. When he said this, he said, "The line between a collector and a hoarder is a display case." So I had to have a shelf true. built.
0: <laughs> uh, a collector wants to show and tell. Exactly. A hoarder, uh, like he's very public about it, and a hoarder yeah. is usually private and like, "Don't look at that. That's mine. Stay out yeah. of there. Don't go yeah. in that closet."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're they're on full display out there, and it's because I love talking about the logos. Whenever somebody you know, comes to the house and I show them the collection. They're like, wow, that's a lot of helmets. You're crazy. And then sure enough, they delve in and they're like, well, what's this one? And what's this one? And then I get to talk about the logos. So it combines the collection combines my three loves of ice cream, baseball and logos. So oh, well, three great tastes, it tastes great together. <laughs> exactly. Well, before I let you go, I, I have to ask you and I'm not going to ask you, you know, what's your favorite. But are there minor league logos that stand out to you? Are there ones that you've noticed, you know, either recently or over time that that you particularly enjoy as someone who covers branding?
0: Um, I've always loved the T- Toledo mud hens. Uh, how can you not? Like just the yeah. name, the, the, you know, the, the hen with the, you know, in the batting stance <laughs> with, his, with his leg rate. I mean, that that is a classic.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I certainly love that. Well, so you're a you're a Mets fan, which, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm a Phillies fan, and here we are coexisting peacefully, which I, <laughs> which I appreciate. But the Mets the Mets have a sort of an interesting thing in their affiliate system, which is two of their four teams are actually named for the parent club, which is something that I hold in great disdain. I I uh, I feel that every minor league team should have a, a unique nickname. I completely but, agree. I completely thank you. Agree. I sort of I sort of figured you would, but yeah, uh, no, it seems to
0: have like a scent, a local flavor.
1: Right, right. But the other two Mets affiliates, uh, the high A affiliate is the Brooklyn Cyclones, who have a great logo designed by Todd Radom, which plays off of the Cyclone roller coaster on Coney Island, right? Like so right, that's and great... which
0: I am a few miles away from as we speak. Like I'm I'm in South Brooklyn right now, just a few Are miles you? from
1: Coney Island. Uh, yeah. Well, even as a Phillies fan, I love, love, love that Brooklyn Cyclones identity. And then the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, right? Which is a brandiose one. And, you know, they're they're named for the fact that Binghamton, New York is the carousel capital of the world, right? So like, what yeah, a crazy- Yeah, I, I,
0: I got a little story to tell you about that. I am oh, to ready. in Binghamton. I am okay. a proud graduate of SUNY Binghamton, uh, State University of New York at Binghamton. And yeah. I can tell you, Nobody ever said the word pony" <laughs> ever in Binghamton. Yeah. Um, it, it is true that um, the Binghamton area, not just the, within the city limits, uh, but the Binghamton area is home to the, like the largest concentration of classic vintage carousels yeah. uh, in North America. Yeah. Now, a lot of them are really beautiful. Uh, when I was going to college, a lot of them were sort of in disrepair and it was not as much a point of local pride. It was yeah. kind of this neglected thing. And now they, they've refurbished a lot of them. Uh, and tried to turn it into some, some kind of tourist appeal. Yeah. Uh, but nobody says rumble ponies. <laughs> like, nobody. Yeah. Don't the Mets also
1: have, or at least they once had the Savannah sand gnats in their system. The Savannah sand gnats moved. They're now the Columbia fireflies and that was part of the big reorganization and they're no longer a Mets affiliate. So, uh, so
0: they went from one insect to another.
1: They did. Yeah. And now Savannah has the Savannah bananas who are a, a big branding story, right? Like who so- are obviously the best right like the, <laughs> exactly the,
0: the bananas are just yeah. they're bananas man they yep. are like yep. from the name like everything about them is yeah. like i mean that's a carnival i guess but it's yeah. it's such a great spirit of fun and it it never it doesn't feel as calculated
1: yeah it, it feels yeah.
0: spontaneous even though yeah. obviously it is calculated sure. they, they sure. have tapped into something that is like just right
1: yeah, they really have with another great logo designed by my friend, Dan Simon. So it's uh, <laughs> more great work from Dan Simon there. So Paul, this has been a ton of fun. I hope that we get to talk again, because uh, I think that you and I could probably share a beer at a ball game and and talk about this for hours. So this is, sure. this has been a lot of fun. Where can people find you online in case they don't uh, so already know?
0: My, my website UniWatch is uni-watch.com. Um, on Twitter, I'm at at Uniwatch without the hyphen, so that's at U N I W A T C H, and I also have uh, a subscription newsletter column uh, on Bulletin, and that is at Paul Lucas. That's one word: P A U L L U K A S. Paul Lucas. Bulletin. Com.
1: Fantastic. Well, this has been a ton of fun, and we'll talk again soon. I hope. I hope so too. Thanks so All much right. for having me out. All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is really fun for me because I get to talk to a lot of really cool people who do some, you know, really cool things in the in the world of sports branding and and uh, minor league baseball in particular. But there's really only one person who I consider the the unquestioned expert in a field that that I do, that really speaks to me on a really personal level. The the sort of I I have called Eric Lichtenberg. The godfather of helmet Sunday collecting for you know as long as I have known of him and then gotten to know him in person. So, I am so so thrilled right now to be to be joined by the person who the 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 first of all of the the helmet Sunday collectors to come along and and make this a thing. Eric Lichtenberg, thank you for being here.
2: Hi Paul, thanks for having me. That was very kind of you to say. Thank you. Thanks well, for having me.
1: It's it's absolutely my pleasure. And uh, it's true, you know, when I started collecting helmet Sundays. And I would Google them, up came your website, right? So so in this episode, I've spoken with Paul Lucas, who is the, you know, a, a lot of people would consider the godfather of, of uniform coverage online. Mm-hmm. And then here is Eric Lichtenberg, the godfather of the Helmet Sunday Collection. And also, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but a graphic designer in your own right as well. So, but I just wanted to, you know, because I get this question all the time. It's 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 not often that I get to turn this around here. So I will ask you. How in the world did you get into into collecting ice cream helmets?
2: Yeah, I think it all started kind of unofficially when I was a kid uh, in the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, growing up here in Minnesota, uh, we have a lot of Dairy Queens uh, and occasional Baskin Robbins at a, at the mall, and I think I just started collecting them then, uh, not knowing that it would blossom to what it is today. And then fast forward, I'm uh, I. I I'm done with college. Uh, I I get my own apartment uh, and I move out of my parents' house. And but uh, the last thing they do is they give me these boxes of of the sports memorabilia. And they said, "Here, don't forget these. This is yours. We don't want it. <laughs> Take it with you." <laughs> and in in that box of, of uh, sports memorabilia was my unfinished set of Major League Baseball helmets that uh, I I took out and I realized, you know, wow, these are these are pretty cool and. Um, I obviously saved them for a reason, and but then I also realized I didn't have a, a full set of, of the entire league, so I hopped onto eBay at the time, and I just quickly was able to uh, uh, fill that uh, those remaining teams and then learned that there were many more helmets out there that uh, were older, had different logos, um, some had stickers, some didn't, and then I stumbled upon minor league helmets, which then kind of blew open the floodgates and uh, the obsessiveness uh, started. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, the question that I always get is, how many of those do you have? And I know that I don't have the most helmets of, of anyone in the mm-hmm. world, and and I don't always have, you know, a precise count or even like a close round number. One of the things I've always appreciated about you and your collection is, it's, you're not just about sort of the sheer volume, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're not just going to grab a helmet just because it's one that you don't have. You you seem to really curate the collection. And you know you're the the ones that you're going to have in your collection are are going to be sort of meaningful, cool helmets for the most part. How is it that you decide sort of which are the helmets that are that are worthy of of the collection? and And you know, is it hard sometimes when you see one that you don't have, but you don't really necessarily feel like it warrants inclusion to to pass up?
2: yeah, that that's been kind of the the challenge because you could easily go down the road of just picking up every one that you see because, yeah, then the collection gets out of control. and uh, it kind of loses its meaning, but uh, right now my focus is just kind of on Major League Baseball helmets, and while there's not very many of those out there that are you know, new, but uh, uh, really ones that just kind of speak to me, and even some, although rare, oddball ones. Um, I've got a random Avocados from Mexico you know, helmet. Why <laughs> that's on a helmet, I don't know, but it's kind of cool.
1: It's not a um, team, right? It's just... A... Right.
2: It's just a, a business name on it. Uh, I thought it, there was one out on Twitter I saw recently. Maybe it was earlier this year that was an orthodontic uh, yeah. clinic. So, you know, <laughs> why not put a logo on a, on a Sunday helmet as a as a giveaway to orthodontics? But uh, just kind of the random, you know, kind of the quirky ones. I kind of gravitate towards them that are different, hard to find.
1: Sure. and And so you... I'm sure you have seen, you know this this community pop up on Twitter now of mm-hmm. uh, a, a growing community of of helmet Sunday collectors out there. And it's I first noticed it when I realized it it was getting very difficult to get helmets on eBay, right? Like there were people who mm-hmm. were willing to spend a lot more than I was on, you know, the sort of quirky helmets that popped up. But the flip side of that is that you've got, you know, a lot more sort of trading partners out there. You've got people finding, you know, finding these cool helmets. and, you know if if someone comes across a really good one they are very likely to you know grab as many as they can because they know they're going to be good sort of trade fodder. What have you thought as you've I mean because your collection I mean your website goes back
2: to the 90s is it is that when you established the website? Uh, the website I started back in I think it was 2008 okay it uh, was when I when I launched the site but the history goes back to all the way uh, to what I believe is kind of the the very first, set or when they first came out sure so so
1: your collection goes way way back you put up this website long before people were using social media to to try mm-hmm. to track these down what have you sort of felt as you've noticed this community on twitter of people you know of, of the helmet sunday collectors out there uh, uh, you know so many more of them than we i and i ever thought there would be
2: yeah i think it's been great it's it's like you said it's having people in different areas they can easily have trade partners with um you know, uh, you get more public um, awareness of of a team that has a new helmet. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you may see one that pop up you didn't even know existed. So it's then mm-hmm. then that becomes the hot one to to get. That I see people gravitating towards. You know, hey, can you pick me up one? And next thing you know, you've got a, a list of 10, 10 to fifteen people asking for a helmet. Oh, um, right. But but that's that's been great, and that's all all social media driven, and uh, especially with with people like you kind of promoting the the hobby, it's definitely grown and fun to see. You know, when
1: people ask me this question about how did I get into this, you know, how did I get into collecting them? I always talk about how it's sort of a combination of three things that I really enjoy, which are baseball, ice cream, and graphic design. I love the logos, right? Like in these, mm-hmm. having these helmets is, you know, a way to display these awesome logos. And You know, whenever people see the shelf back here behind me, they're always just like, "Oh my God, that's incredible!" And then, but then, you know, I think they think I'm a little insane, which is probably a fair assessment, right? Like, yeah. uh, But then they actually get in, they walk over to it, and they start looking at them. And the first thing they do is they pick out their own major league team that they like, and then they move down the shelf and they look at all the minor league ones, and they start asking, "Well, what's this logo? What's this logo?" And and then they try to quiz Mm -hmm. me, right? Like, "What do you know? What this one is?" and but mm-hmm. I would, I would think, you know, one of the the parallels that I see between you and me is that we are both in the field of graphic design, and you do logo design, which is its own special field within subset within graphic design. So, do you feel like like the actual design of the
2: logos is part of your affinity for the helmets themselves? Yeah, actually, I think it's a big part. I think that's why I've kind of always been drawn to them, especially with, you know, the minor league teams that have are kind of always changing and or putting out a new helmet or different variation uh it's so easily to easy to gravitate towards those ones um, because of the, the fun and, and quirkiness of those logos and yeah it doesn't help or it, it helps to be a designer too because then it's like oh that's really cool that's uh, you know good use of color here and the typography is great and then and then the you know then you get all Get nerd out on that kind of stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think the unique colored helmets too are are ones that people are drawn to, right? Like mm-hmm. I I love the the red Red Sox one I have, the yellow Pirates one that I have, mm-hmm. uh, the the powder blue Phillies one that I have, and then of course yep. the minor league ones. I just got my my first purple one outside of the Rockies. I, there was a. A purple uh, Lake Erie Crushers one that I just got, right? Oh, sure. E. And so, you know, so sometimes you get these sort of interesting ones. So I reference this a lot. John Hodgman famously said about my helmet Sundays that the uh, the difference between a hoarder and a collector is a display case. Do you have your helmets on display somewhere?
2: They are currently in storage, but the the goal is to have them on display on that wall someday. I've got a lot of ideas. I just gotta gotta do something with them, but. um I also have a small shelf here that's kind of has a the minor leagues I think there's about 20 there that just kind of on rotation and lately it's been whatever whatever new comes in is is what gets put on there and other ones get kind of moved around a little bit so there's a there's a goal eventually to have a, a bigger display maybe a collage or a shelving system or something but I just need to get get it done and and figure it out.
1: <laughs> well, every, you know, every good museum has rotating exhibits, right? Like yeah. so I think
2: it's it's yeah. fair fair to have the a, a rotation there for sure. Yeah. Um, and this one behind me is the uh, that's kind of on rotation too. That's the 1972 uh MLB standings final standings that's when the Pirates won the World Series. So I do rotate that one out on uh, kind of on a I'd say every couple of weeks just to switch it up. So Sure. Sure.
1: To get back to the graphic design work that you do, I know that you you create logos. You very famously created a logo for our Twin Cities Twin Billing, two games in one day in in Mm -hmm. Minneapolis and Saint Paul, in Minnesota. I have it actually right here and keep it on the windowsill by the in the recording studio here. So this is nice. uh, Obviously, it's an audio medium, so you know no one can see what I just did. But I just held up the 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 logo that you created and that you put on helmets and distributed to everyone during our our two games in one day in Minnesota, uh, I know that you've created a logo, you created a terrific logo for Pat Larson, who is another member of Curved Brim Media, and also for uh, the Up to Chat podcast by uh, by Mike Sellers. So mm-hmm. you've done some some work for folks in the community here. What other sort of graphic design
2: work are you doing? Um, well, being in Minnesota, I do a lot of uh, for the hockey community here. lot of apparel design that's kind of my my freelance um I guess side business Uh, I do work for a design agency here in Minneapolis um so that's my full-time gig so okay um what's been fun with with this minor league community is just being able to kind of work in the whole you know baseball realm is like I said I do a lot of stuff for the hockey community and even the high school football community so I don't get to do a lot of baseball stuff which is my my favorite sport so uh, it was fun to do those things and um also do the the twin billing logo being you guys were coming to minnesota i wanted to help commemorate that and and you know really kind of treat you guys to something fun when you guys came to minnesota
1: that was such a great surprise honestly when you pulled those out you're like hey look i got these cool helmets and then not only that but you brought me an albuquerque duke's helmet which was you know Mm -hmm. that's that is a prized prized member of the collection right now you also do custom helmets I finally gave up on looking for a Las Vegas 51s helmet. And, you know, I, I don't know if if anyone's going to judge me for this, but I had you I had you create me a custom Las Vegas 51s helmet. It's out there on the shelf. It looks like it belongs. It looks like it came from the ballpark. Uh, you know, it looks like I ate some some crappy soft serve out of it at Cashman Park in Vegas. <laughs> so that's, uh, how did you get into creating custom helmets?
2: I think it was just, again, going back to, you know, being a designer and, and, really you know liking baseball logos you know you you, you kind of think you know is, is there any anything there out there missing or you I want to try a hand at making like i started doing the the all-star game logos on helmets for my collection uh, and then it kind of evolved uh, i put a few up on ebay to see what they would do and you know i sold a few not out there looking to make any money but just kind of you know testing the waters and kind of connected with some people and started making them for other collectors and it's been fun to do, and especially the you know of late with with people going to, on these you know stadium tours and coming up empty at a few of them. You know, it's fun to help kind of fill those voids for people. So, uh, it's been a fun hobby, and I'm glad I can help out other collectors. That's really
1: true. You know, for me, I I, I went you know on baseball palooza. We did Louisville, Columbus, Fort Wayne, and Indianapolis. And only two of those four, that's, so that's three AAA stadiums and one, you know, very nice mm-hmm. single A stadium. And only two of them had their own helmets, which is, uh, it is a, certainly for me, a disappointment when I go to, for instance, mm-hmm. Indianapolis, a AAA ballpark, I, you know, they had a selection of major league helmets to to choose from. And so sure. that is a, uh, it's a disappointment. And so if I didn't already have an Indianapolis helmet, I would probably, you know, I'd, it would feel like an omission from the collection right now, for right. sure. So. Yep. So anyway, well, Eric, this is, uh, you know, I'm so glad to have gotten to know you through Twitter. And then we got to meet the, at the Twins game. There are very few people in the world who I could sit down and have this conversation with. So it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. certainly a real treat for me. And we didn't even get into, I mean, I know one of the the much deeper levels that you get into with these helmets is like the different fabricators and mm-hmm. you know, the companies that have produced them over the course of the year. And that's, you draw some distinctions over the the sort of, the the sort of generations of helmet sundays that exist so i think i think next time we have you on here we're going to have to get into that level and we'll just have to in, issue like a content warning early on like this is going to be the nerdiest nerding out about helmets yep. you'll ever hear <laughs>
2: that would be great that sounds like fun
1: uh, but at, the, at this point i think we've scratched just the right amount of nerd surface on on helmet yeah, Sunday yeah. <laughs> So uh eric where what's the best way for people to find you you've got your website and you've got your twitter account
2: Yep, I think that's the best way to get a hold of me. It's uh, my website's elichtenberg.com forward slash ehc. That's Eric's Helmet Collection, and then at Twitter elichtenberg, all one word. Okay, and obviously those will both be in the show notes. And so,
1: Eric, thank you so much. I look forward to catching you at a ball game again.
2: Good to talk to you, Paul. Thanks for having me on.